Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. And I'm Bob Brookover. And Scott Lauber has electricity again after going on a one-week hiatus. <laughs> a 25-hour hiatus that felt like one week. Maybe it was a little more than that. Yeah, that was right around this time last week. Which, yeah, I've uh, always said you were in the dark. Yes, yes, <laughs> more than ever. And uh, so, yeah, that was the reason why we, we missed a week here on this podcast. But uh, we're back. And we have some actual real live baseball events to talk about um, today and uh, the Major League Baseball draft uh, being held this week. The Phillies had the 15th overall pick in the first round, and it was a very big night for young Mick Abel from Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon. He's a right handed pitcher selected by the Phillies, first pitcher picked by the Phillies in the first round since Aaron Nola way back in 2014, first high school pitcher picked by the Phillies uh, with their first pick since Shane Watson in the supplemental draft in 2012. Bob, I was covering the Red Sox in 2012, so you'll have to fill me in all about Shane Watson and what he was all about. But um, what, were your, what were your impressions last night of, of, um, of the first round and, and the Phillies deciding to go in a direction they haven't gone in in quite some time? Yeah, I think it surprised a lot of people. I had been texting with some uh, some draft people from other organizations, and a lot of people thought that they would go the college route, which is the route they had gone the last three seasons, college position players. A lot of people really thought they were going to take a college pitcher this time, uh, which you know is always the safer bet because you've got more of a resume um, and you, you've seen that they pitch more innings. But they did surprise us, and they and they took a high school pitcher um, for. For our own selfish reasons, I was kind of hoping they would take Nick Bitsko from Central Bucks East. Mm-hmm. Ended up going nine picks later to the to the Rays, but it would I just would have liked the the story of the local kid in Philadelphia wasn't to be. Uh, some of the same scouts I talked to also believed that Mick Abel is just more advanced than than Nick Bitsko at this point. And you know the the people I talked to said he was the best high school pitcher available in this draft and Philly's got him there's always risk involved because of the small resume and probably maybe a little bit more this year because so many high school kids didn't have a season so you didn't get that look at him but the ceiling uh for this kid when you talk to people seems very very high yeah and you know 10 days or so ago before the draft I, I had an opportunity to talk to Brian Barber for a little while and we talked about how it had become, under Johnny Almaraz, it had become a Phillies philosophy, it seemed, to go for the college position player, or at least to go for uh, something other than the high school pitcher. Because I think, in fairness to Johnny, I think he was open to college pitching if it was there um, and available when the Phillies drafted. Uh, but certainly the college position player seemed like the safest bet. You had, I think, the longest history with a college position player, you had less risk of injury with a college position player. And I asked Brian Barber if in all his years with the Yankees as a cross checker there and an area scout there, if he developed sort of a, a, a philosophy, not expecting that he would necessarily, you know, tip his hand and say, uh, no, I'm anti high school pitcher or I'm anti this or that. But just if he had a general over overriding philosophy and, you know, he said not really that, that, um, he was more just into sort of like looking at the board, uh, ranking the board and then picking the best available guy on the board. And you hear that from a lot of scouting directors, but you know, you look at his background, 
Uh, he was a high school pitcher when he was drafted in the first round by the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and he said, if I, if I come across a high school pitcher uh, who we really believe is the, most, is the best available player, you don't want to walk by that kid just because he's a high school pitcher. And he acknowledges the risk. He says that, you know, when you're dealing with a kid who's 18 years old, who maybe hasn't fully developed yet uh, into his body, and uh, he's a pitcher, and he hasn't thrown nearly as many innings yet as a college pitcher, and all of that, maybe there's greater risk for injury or, or whatnot, but they believe in, in Mick Abel's talent, and they believe in the fact that he's only going to get better. Something you wrote, Bob, today that you know I thought was was the one thing you can't say for sure when you draft the high school pitcher is that you're not going to see him in the big leagues for a while. You know, this wasn't an Aaron Nola situation where the Phillies drafted him out of LSU and believed that he could be a fast riser through the minor leagues and might get there. And he did. He got there in 13 months. This is not going to be that. Um, you take a high school pitcher and you're in it for the long haul with that kid, right? There's no doubt about it. You got it. This is going to be a wait and see proposition. Uh, if it's not, then, you know, then it means he's one of those phenoms um, who accelerates a lot faster than anybody expected. They, they do happen sometimes. Um, you know, the two names, Jack Flaherty and um, Verlander, that have been thrown around and comparing these guys, that, you know, I'm always a little leery of, of that. But, but you know what? If, if, if somebody thinks that uh, who has some baseball background, and this, these are the people who are saying it, it, it gets your juices flowing a little bit, gets you a little bit excited to think about what this kid might be able to be. Um, to go back a second to your um, two things, you know, Johnny Almarez, if we go back and revisit him, his best pick might end up being a, a college pitcher, Spencer right. Howard, who was a second round pick. Um, but you mentioned Shane Watson, um, and the Shane Watson pick. Um, what I remember most about Shane Watson is he went to that same high school as J.P. Crawford, and he's probably the reason they drafted Shane or J.P. Crawford. Oh, interesting. Uh, they, were, they were both Lakewood high school kids in California, and they had seen Jay when they were scouting Shane Watson. Crawford was a year behind, uh, and they took they took Crawford the following year. Uh, but Shane Watson is the prime example of the risk of taking a high school pitcher because he just never developed and he's pretty much out of baseball now uh, at, at 25 years old. He's, he's, or 20, I guess he's 26 now. And it, it appears that his career's over uh, long before I, I think he advanced to double and he was the highest he got. I, I think we um, need to. Uh, so, so he's a prime example of that. Risk. You know, I think we all need to, I think we need to ask Brian Barber the next time we speak to him, who he was compared to when he was an 18 year old kid at Dr. Phillips High in Florida, where he was teammates with Johnny Damon, because I'm sure that those labels were put on him, too. You know, he's the next this guy or the next that guy. And, you know, when I was writing about him last week, kind of introducing uh, our readers to, to who, he, he, who he is and kind of meet the man who's running the Phillies draft room for the first time this year. And I talked to Jim Hendry, who worked with Barber with the Yankees, and he said, you know, he has no doubt that Barber's philosophy as a scout was shaped, at least in part, by his experience as a player. And he was saying that, you know, back in the day, early nineties, um, he remembers when Barber was drafted, you know, the Cardinals drafted Brian Barber and Matt Morris and Alan Bennis, and they were supposed to be, you know, 
three guys who were going to be mainstays in their rotation for years and years to come. Well, injuries wound up getting Brian Barber and Alan Bennis. Uh, I think, you know, in Barber's case, I think he, he made, he pitched in like 26 games in the big leagues uh, in 10 years and as a pro and was done because of injuries. Matt Morris was the one was the only one who really went on to have that long career. And that's, that's the risk you run when you, when you select a high school pit, when you select any pitcher, but especially a high school pitcher. Yeah, we go back to the the baby aces with the Phillies, the uh, yep. Mets, the Pulsifer, Paul Wilson, and and uh, Isringhausen. You, you know, um, yeah, and some of them. So, and this goes back to your point about we're going to have to wait. You know, I remember covering Jim Fergosi, and he used to say the problem with high school pitchers is by the time they figured it out, there was somebody else's organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it takes them so long to develop. Um, so, you know, there's all those, those things that, that go into this. Um, you know, the, the, the other thing talking about comparing people, it, it's, it, that's just such a risky game too. I, you know, the one that comes to mind all the time for me is Cody Ashley was constantly being compared to Chase Utley. Oh, he's a baby Utley, baby Utley. And yeah. 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 You run Yeah. It's a dangerous game. I mean, I kind of cringed a little bit watching the draft last night when they would do that, when they would put up like the, you know, the kid who got, who just got picked and their numbers. And, you know, there was, there was a player whose name now escapes me. It was obviously a, a hitter who, uh, you know, they put up like his exit velocity off the bat and stuff like that and compared it with Mike Trout. And I just sort of was sitting there in my living room going, don't do that. Like to this poor kid, I mean, Mike Trout's going to be one of the greatest players in baseball history when, when he already is. And, Certainly when his career is over, he, he might be right there at the top and you're going to do this to this poor kid. It's, uh, you know, I understand it. I get it. But, you know, when we're talking about projecting, um, whether it's high school kids or, or, you know, a kid after a year or two of college, it's just not fair. Yeah, and a lot, and a lot more goes into being a great hitter than exit velocity, for sure. You, you, you also have to be good at pitch selection, you know, and many, many other things to be a, a great. So one of the many interesting things, Bob, about this draft is that, um, and this pick in general of Mick Abel, is that the Phillies didn't see him pitch this year. Um, he's a high school guy from Oregon. His season was canceled because of coronavirus. Uh, they made a house visit uh, back in January when they were still allowed to do that kind of thing. Um, they relied on a lot of reports from their area scout last year. Uh, they also watched a lot of video that uh, players were able to upload to a portal. And then they did a 90-minute Zoom call with, uh, with him a few weeks ago. And I asked him last night about that uh, and what that's like. And he said it's, it was kind of like a job interview. You know, it's, he, he talked to like six or seven different people within the organization. And they asked him a lot of questions. And he had a chance to ask them a lot of questions. Just a really, really unusual year in terms of how players were scouted and evaluated and ultimately ordered uh, on a draft board by these teams and then selected. Um, you've talked to Mike Arbuckle. You've talked to some other people um, who have been in this game a long, long time and have been through a lot of drafts. Um, what's kind of been the general reaction to you know, this weird year that we're in and this weird scouting process that's taken place this year. Well, as I, as I wrote in my column that appeared in, in Thursday's paper, you know, Mike Arbuckle said, oh, you know, I, 
asked him about the, the unfortunate situation Brian Barber found himself in, and he basically said, you know, I can't imagine having to go through my first draft under these circumstances. He said it's not easy enough. I mean, it's difficult enough in the best of circumstances to go through your first one. Uh, so he had a lot of empathy for what, what Brian Barber was going through. Um, and, you know, one of the things I found interesting was he said, you know, you, you get to know your people who are scouting for you and you, and you see in their eyes and their demeanor when they really want a kid, when they really believe in a kid. And he said, it's just really hard to do when you're on a Zoom call. And when we were on a Zoom call with Brian Barber mm-hmm. after the pick last night, I was thinking about that because I was looking at things and, and he's, he's so right because your, your eyes go all over the place. If you're in a room with somebody and your eyes go right to the person who's speaking, uh, you know, and, and you, you, you do get to see the conviction of, of something. Whereas I could see how you just don't get that on a Zoom call. Yeah, and you know, you talk about those conversations, and Brian Barber referenced that last night. He said that one of the first conversations he had after being hired by the Phillies last fall was with Zach Friedman, one of uh, their area scouts. In fact, their Pacific Northwest area scout. And the first name that Friedman brought up was Mick Abel, and he said, "I I just want want to want to make sure that." You know who he is because I, I, I've seen this kid and I followed him through his high school career to that point, obviously, um, through his junior year. And he said, I really like this kid. And Barber had had some familiarity with him. But, you know, the fact that he referenced that almost off the top tells me that it was a conversation that stuck with him, that he remembered uh, and that I'm sure went into his evaluation of Mick Abel was that. Uh, Zach Friedman spoke so highly of him, and that was back in, you know, October, November when they were first having these conversations with Brian Barber. So, um, you know, I, you see where Arbuckle's coming from when he says, you know, you have these conversations with your scouts and their passion for a player either comes through or it doesn't. And in this case, it clearly did. And now we now we wait and see how long it takes Matt Abel or Nick uh, Abel to get to the big leagues. Uh, that that will be uh, his his path to the to the big leagues. Will and be uh, <laughs> if you had to guess, I know you know the answer to this. Who was one of the who was one of the first people that Mick Abel heard from from the Phillies after he got drafted? Uh, that would be Bryce, Bryce Harper. Harper. Yeah, how about that? Um, <laughs> well, Bryce has a vested interest. He in does. This. He, <laughs> if, if Mick Abel hasn't made it to the big leagues by the time. Bryce Harper's contract runs out. To, there's going to be a very disappointed. That's going to be a very yes. disappointed pick. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if there's anyone who's definitely going to be around to see um, Mick Abel's Phillies career uh, come to fruition or not, it's Bryce Harper. Right? He's here for the long haul. And and how's that though for like a like a draft night story? Uh, you're 18 years old. I looked it up. Jesuit High School had their commencement ceremony in whatever form it took last Saturday. So he's had. You know, he's been a high school graduate for five days. He gets drafted 15th overall in the country. And almost as soon as his name gets announced on ESPN, he looks at his phone. He's got a FaceTime call from a number he doesn't know, a Las Vegas number he doesn't know. He answers, and Bryce Harper's face pops up on his phone. That's pretty cool. Uh, that That is definitely pretty cool. Of course, by 
the time Bryce Harper was Mick Abel's age, he was like in <laughs> he was like graduated college, high school, but going to college, set a, won the Golden Spikes Award. Yeah, he was, and, he was already so in he was, through junior college, right? <laughs> and uh, well on his way to being uh, being the Nationals cleanup hitter. So. Bryce had a a beard in the crib, I think. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And and the long hair and everything. Um, So, yeah, very big night for for Mick Abel. And uh, the Phillies will not have a second-round pick. That's not – that shouldn't be trivialized because, as you mentioned, I mean, they've had some good second-round picks over the years. They're currently their number one prospect. Spencer Howard was a second-round pick. Uh, but that's the consequence for signing Zach Wheeler as a free agent in the offseason. So their next pick is 87th overall, and uh, pretty soon we'll have a name and a player attached to that pick as well. So, um, well, so it's, it's especially true not having a second-round pick. When yeah, five yeah. talk about not having much margin um, for error. You, you're going to bring four players into the system that you know of this year, and obviously there will be more. They'll sign some undrafted uh, free agents, I'm sure. But you're guaranteed to bring in four guys. You better hit on them. So that's the uh, that's the draft story. Now, looming over all of this are these negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. We don't want to get too in the weeds on this because odds are uh, the situation will have changed at least a bit uh, by the time this podcast gets posted. So um, we'll just say that it's kind of a complete mess, right? Oh, it's absolutely a complete mess. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing is, as you wrote in today's story, that that um, Rob Manford, Commissioner Rob Manford, assured everybody before the draft yesterday was there will be a baseball season. What form that baseball season is going to take uh, remains to be seen. But apparently, there's going to be a baseball season, and. and you know, if I if I was a betting man, I would say it's going to be under 80 games. Um, you know, but I don't know exactly what what still lies ahead for, in order for that season to take place. Yeah, if I were a betting man, I would say it's going to be 50 games thereabouts. Um, you know, Manfred said two things yesterday right before the draft. He said uh, there will be a season, and then he said uh, the owners will be countering or the league will be countering with a uh, proposal to the players most recent one which was um, the 89 game full prorated pay proposal and he expressed his hope that the players would soften their stance about 100% prorated salaries and if Rob Manfred is still hoping for that um, he's wasting his time because they're not going to come down off of that uh, off of that request and it's not so much about the money i've written about this over the last few days it's about the principle of the thing the players believe that they agreed on march 26th to prorated salary based on number of games played and they don't want to reopen that agreement they feel like a deal's a deal and if they reopen an agreement it sets a dangerous precedent especially with a cba negotiation looming next year and uh that's that's the way they're going to do it um, it's how it's going to be. And so if they're not going to budge on that, then Manfred's going to implement a schedule and it's going to be somewhere in that 48 to 54 game mark, unless the owners decide that they could shoulder more, uh, you know, shoulder the weight of a greater loss than 
than what they're than than what they're gonna um, than what they're thus far willing to do. So that's where it stands. And so the owners can counter with whatever proposal they'd like, but if they're gonna ask for more for secondary uh, reduction, it's not gonna happen. It's not, and the thing I wonder about, um, spent some time looking at this this week, have they already done irreparable damage uh, to to what we can expect uh, in the, for the future of the game? You know, are people going to be, regardless of whether they come back or not, which is all really people care about, nobody's scoring at home who's, who's making points here. They're basically ignoring it all. Um, and is the damage going to, to last a long time? One of the things I looked up here was in 1994, for the first time, or in 1993, for the first time in history, the average attendance in baseball was over 30,000 people, almost 31,000. It went up slightly the next year in 94, which is the strike-shortened season, to 31,256 was their average attendance. When they came back in 1995, and, and you know, one of the things the owners are claiming here is attendance is a big part of their revenue, which was one of the big problems here. When they came back in 95, the average attendance had dropped from basically 31 to mm -hmm. 25,000 people. It took until 2004 to get back over 30,000. Took eight years, and uh, you know, and it took a a home run. Uh, surge. It took steroids. Uh, you know, steroids eventually sent things the, the other way, I think, uh, although not, not so much. But the, the other thing to remember here is the base baseball attendance has also declined each of the last four seasons uh, back to 28,000 uh, in, in last season. Um, and the last time, time it was at 28,000 was in mm -hmm. 1999, so, so they're, they're playing a really dangerous game here you know, because they have so many other issues in this game, and one of them the commissioner talks about all the time is how long games take. Well, guess how long games took last year? Uh, I will guess 320. Okay. 310, the, the, the longest ever, you know, despite all the commissioner's efforts to get the, the game shortened. It was 305, nine-inning games, but 310 overall. Uh, and 305 matched the longest nine-inning game going back to 17. So there are so many issues this game has, and now they're bringing in this fight between the owners and players that is is just turning people off even more in a game that cannot be afforded. Cannot I've, afford um, so I've people. read some of the more glasses-half-full uh, colleagues of ours in the media who have said, Baseball uh, will come back. There'll be some, you know, there'll be some initial maybe dissatisfaction or, you know, fans will be turned off. But, you know, ultimately we'll be talking about a pennant race and we'll be talking about all the things that we normally talk about once they're played on a field. And, you know, I agree with you. I think that that's, that's a little bit too much of a rosy outlook, given the fact that, number one, you know, as you said, it took eight years um, after the last work stoppage for for fans to come back at the same level that they'd come back to before. Uh, that was, you know, uh, and that was with Cal Ripken, uh, 
breaking Lou Gehrig's record uh, and with McGuire and Sosa in the summer of 98 and with steroids and all the offense in the game. Um, you know, Cal Ripken isn't walking through that door. McGuire and Sosa aren't walking through that door. And oh, yeah, when fans are allowed back in the ballpark, there's still going to be this question of is it safe um, to sit there among other people? Our, our ballparks are likely not going to be filled to capacity uh, anyway because of the pandemic and uncertainty over that. Uh, so you have health issues uh, at play and you have. You know, we're in so much of a different place in society than we were uh, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, I've, I talked to um, to Vince Gennaro, who's a, a, a kind of a baseball business of baseball and economics guy at NYU. And he was talking about how he thinks this whole the whole pandemic and the whole shutdown is going to cause an acceleration in things like virtual reality. Uh, viewing of ball games, like you're going to be able to buy a virtual reality ticket to sit in your living room and watch a game and have the sort of sensory experience of actually being there. This was something that he envisioned as happening in like 2030 or 2040, but it might actually happen sooner, he thinks, because people are going to be less willing to go to the ballpark. That is a fact factor that was not at play in 1995 when baseball came back people didn't go because they didn't want to go they didn't go because they had other they had other options or they had uh, a different way of, of viewing a game or a different viewing experience so all of these things uh to me say that yeah i mean there is going to be irreparable harm done to done to the game in terms of the way we view it the way we take it in and the way we consume it and they're not helping uh, with this fight that they're having over uh, prorated salaries. I'm sick of typing that word prorated. People are sick of reading it and hearing about it. And they just they just want the game to come back if it could come back. And they don't want to see the fighting. It, it would be fine, kind of fun, though, to be like be in the batter's box, have a camera so live and real that you're in the batter's box. And as the pitch is coming, you could actually like push it. Swinger, <laughs> swinger take, swinger take. That's oh, a little that's, level of virtual reality that I think is still a ways off to actually control the – you're talking about controlling yeah. the players, right? Well, not exactly actually controlling the player, but you, you can, like, control oh, whether I you see. think it's going to yeah. be a ball or a strike before the pitch before You can't actually control the player. But we that that technology already exists in these e-sports games, which are – you know, I, I, I'm going to get off the long, my long guy when it comes to those kinds of things. Like, why do you, why do you want to watch people play video games? And yet there are sites that exist to Twitch, as I have learned. Uh, I've learned about Twitch and Zoom and pan, all kinds of pandemic terms that I never knew before, um, you know, that I just don't get. Like, I, I never want to watch anybody play a video game. And this is coming from a kid who, when I was a kid, I liked playing video games. Played them all the time, my brother, but I didn't like when my brother played. I yes, played. no, you and I are on the same page on this, uh, and we're both probably showing our age. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all. I don't understand the uh, the appeal of watching somebody else play. Um, if if you weren't playing, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand how that's that's fun. But maybe you know, maybe in a few years, I could ask my son uh, about that because. Uh, he's four. And so, uh, right now he still enjoys being the one who does the playing, but if he ever, if he ever gets into that mode where he like wa wants to watch his friends play video games, 
I'm certainly going to pose that question. Like, how is this fun to you? How is this like, let, let's go outside and ride a bike or let's go outside and, uh, you know, do something uh, that, that you can actually do. I just, I don't get that. But anyway, you and I are both old, old fogies at this point, And uh, we don't understand what the young people, uh, what, what, what gets the young people excited these days, do we? There's uh, there's a lot of things I don't understand. Oh yeah, anymore, Scott, uh, yeah. But, maybe and, but we'll, we'll you know maybe somebody can explain it to us in between this episode and the next one. We need we need, we need back. Br- yes he, he is we do we need him back and we need him to explain this to us. You can explain all this stuff to us and, and yeah I still I still remember that like that's still recent enough for me. Um, but yeah no I mean it's uh, it's it's interesting baseball's going to a to a strange new place. Um, and, you know, as you said, heard this before that by the next time we reconvene for Uh-oh. another extra innings podcast, that we have a little bit more clarity on this, a little bit more resolution, but uh, we might be marching forward toward that 50 game season. And we can talk all about whether anyone would really be excited about that or not um, on our, maybe on our next episode. So for Bob Brookover, I'm Scott Lauber, and uh, please continue to follow us at inquire.com. Until next week, thanks for joining us.